This is Paul Tran, and I am reading my poem, East Mountain View. Found in a nearby dumpster, a folding table, a can of Pringles, half full, half empty, it doesn't matter. This is how we become new Americans. Five finger discount, Midas touch, my mother fashions dining set and dinner with the loot she lugs into our apartment while I, not even potty trained, dream of cities shorn and shores away, where a daughter barters her mother's last gold bangle for passage out of the Mekong Delta, where a daughter barters the last thing she owns, her body, her crow black hair parted down the middle, the length of nights lost in the South China Sea, nights she relives whenever their faceless forms, the coyotes, the pirates, the virgins vaulting into bottomless dark to nourish sharks and not their captors, surprise her in the flesh of ordinary things. I suppose that's survival, to make use of what appears useless. I know this despite what it took to know it. I know this despite the conceit of knowing. It sucks belonging to anywhere, to anything. Even in heaven, we're trespassers. We're told we don't speak English well enough. Even in heaven, we apply for citizenship and wait. Heaven is waiting. So we master the grief of geography, severed from a life that persists. The Blasian sensation is back. I'm Jalian Yang, Ja for short. I'll explain <laughs> later. Last season, I was going by Karen. It's so me. People change their names. It happens. I'm Treasure Shields Redmond. Same name, same mission to hold space for the voices that mainstream media ignores. Who Raised You podcast is back, baby. And better than ever. We're the 2018-2019 <laughs> startup competition winners for the Arts and Education Council of St. Louis. They gave us $10,000 and office space <laughs> to transform the Who Raised You podcast into the Who Raised You listening collective. This year, we're creating a digital audio archive to combat our region's historical amnesia. We're bringing together artists, poets, and change makers of all kinds to record stories of ordinary wisdom. Stories by citizen sound agents coming yes. to a city near you. Stay tuned at whoraisedyoupodcast.com. In the meantime, enjoy season two of Who Raised You Podcast, a traveling conversation between Jalian Yang and Treasure Shields Redmond as we explore how culture, family, and intersecting identities pave our way toward liberation. We want to know who raised you? Dig deep. We're finding our roots. Today, Who Raised You podcast goes to Seattle for PodCon 2017. And while we were there, we asked other podcasters of color, who raised you? Then we hopped on a plane to the Bay Area and stopped <laughs> by Oakland, Treasure's old stomping grounds, on the way to San Jose, where I grew up. 
And at PyCon, we talked to Francesca Ramsey, a.k.a. Cheskely, comedian, YouTuber, and host of MTV's Decoded. We also talked to Bacon and Rashani, two black podcasters, about who raised them. So Who Raised You is here with Francesca Ramsey. Hello. We Hi. just did a workshop on <laughs> podcasters of color. We are all unicorns in that space. Right, Yay. Right. We want to know who raised you. Um, you know, my mom is somebody who uh, I think it's cliche to say, because I think, of course, uh, you're, you're, you would hope that you have parents that were involved in your rearing. Not everyone is, not everyone is fortunate enough to have that. I, I acknowledge that. But um, my mom is really wonderful, and it's great because... Uh, Growing up with divorced parents, I did not have the best relationship with her as a child. Um, my dad definitely played the good guy and my mom had to be the bad guy because she was actually raising me and being both parents. So as an adult, it is really nice to be able to look back and realize that a lot of the times that I was mad at her or thought she did not know what she was talking about, she actually did. And now I have a relationship with her where we talk on the phone every single day and I count down to when I can go home to see her. So um, I consider myself to be very blessed to have a, a mother who um, was not setting out to be my best friend as a kid, mm. um, but now has become my best friend because the things that she taught me made me the person that I am today. Podcast you're affiliated with? Uh, my name is Bacon. I am a podcast host at ADD Space, which is on Unreasonable Fridays. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> and um, so your question is, who raised me? Yes. So I was raised by my parents, um, though my parents had to work a lot. So if, and my mom, especially, my mom was like, she was working full time and going to school full time. So and then my dad was also doing the same. So I remember mostly my grandmother and my father um, were both black. And my brother also helped raise me. And he's, um, he's a biracial black like me. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely like takes the village to raise a child in my scenario. That's kind of how I grew up. It was really awesome. My name is Rashani from Single Simulcast and uh, Sin and Solace. I was fortunate enough to be raised by a mom and dad who told me to shut up enough that I decided to do my own podcast so then I could tell them about themselves. Same way that I, as soon as I got to college, opened up all the windows and air conditioned the entire neighborhood. Oh, okay, <laughs> great, thank you. Let's talk about PodCon, Treasure. Yes, that was quite interesting. Um, that was my first um, kind of media conference. I know you had been to the Allied Media Conference yep. in Detroit mm -hmm. a few months before that. But um, I thought it was an insight into kind of a clique of media producers that I wasn't super familiar with. What, what about you? Yeah, so I love the Allied Media Conference. I highly recommend anyone go to it. I think what's fun about that conference is 
there's just a lot of different tracks that people can learn from. And there's mm. also kind of more of a radical power analysis. Mm. And I think what we saw at PodCon and in some ways had questions <laughs> about was that it was a little bit more fan oriented. Mm -hmm. You had these like networks of podcasts, a lot of shows that were related to each other, even people who were um, related to each other as families having mm -hmm. podcasts. Um, and I think that the positive that I did take away from it, besides the fact that we travel well, and that was pretty fun. Yes. And we learned a lot that from each important. other. That was important. It's like, we can get married now. <laughs> <laughs> Ta -da! That's not what our uh, our live shows were. Right. Like, we're, we're getting catering. We're inviting people. Right. Goodie bags. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> what PodCon did teach me is that... If you have a story, you just need to find a way to tell it. Mm. It was really affirming because I think one of the things that I really wanted from the conference was to learn, like, is there anything technical that we should be thinking about marketing mm -hmm. law-wise? Mm. And in a lot of the workshops, they were saying, you know, you can just work with what you have. Most people have some sort of smartphone um, and that you can record from that way, or you can go to a public library and there's recording resources that way. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it was really nice to know that we have a really clear sense of what we're doing in our media project, that we have um, a vision for liberation, that we're wanting to uplift voices of color. Mm -hmm. um, others might be more about just a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really affirming that we're on the right track. Yeah. I, you know, I, you talked about there, there being the presence of an, an analysis of the intersecting ways in which, you know, patriarchy, capitalism, uh, white supremacy, kind of color, pun intended, <laughs> how media is produced in the U.S., uh, and thus globally, since the U.S. exports itself all over the world. Mm. Um, and that was definitely not there at PodCon. Like you said, it was very fan-based. Um, and there was one Podcasters of Color uh, panel. Um, there was a live show that was done, a live taping that was done by um, the, the black, black guy who the tips, black guy Rod who and tips, Karen. That Rod was and fun. Karen. That was fantastic. But the panel about podcasters of color, interestingly, was very pro big media. Um, there were a couple of podcasters on there who uh, were, you know, podcasting with big media companies, and they're really was an absence of a conversation about independent media, uh, about uh, the, the, the true stresses on the stories you produce when you are part of a big media collective or one of the big four, you know, alphabet numbers, alphabet names that we know, ABC, CBS, <laughs> NBC, Fox, um, uh, what that what pressures that puts on the type of media you can produce. If it's owned by Disney, you probably can't uh, critique Disney. Um, so I thought um, they could have did a better job of uh, including holding space for voices of color and for deepening the conversations that they had within those spaces. Yeah, and I, I think, though, at the same time, coming back to St. Louis, we had a different resolve about our project. Mm. And I think it really set us on this path towards the Who Raised You Listening Collective and wanting to grow a media 
network that mm -hmm. features stories by creators of color. Mm -hmm. Thinking beyond the podcast genre, thinking about poems, mixtapes, live shows, uh, videos, and all these ways that we can get these stories out there um, that are not so told by mainstream media. Or if they're told, let's say, by um, a public broadcasting network, that that would be decades later when the culture had finally caught up. Mm -hmm. And we want to do that faster. Yes. So yes, um, hopefully uh, with the startup competition um, funds and resources, we're really wanting to expand that. And I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and I'm, I'm not just about the growing collective of, you know, media producers of color, but also the ways in which we're going to eventually gift an archive of sound, of stories um, to the region. Uh, and I'm excited to see how that's going to take shape. Yeah, so... Uh as we look forward to that taking shape, we're, <laughs> I think it's really fun that we're putting out these stories about our roots. So can we talk a little bit about Oakland? How is it like to go back? A lot of things have changed mm -hmm. there. Gentrification is a real thing. Yeah. So yeah. what I was mean, it like to see, smell, touch, taste <laughs> Oakland? <laughs> well, you know what? Um, Oakland is a place where I lived for five years. Uh, when I was in junior high, my partner and I, my artistic partner and I, Terrence Davis, we uh, formed a musical group, a rap group, and we called ourselves the Sonic MCs. And eventually we, we gained notoriety uh, in our region. And then we were tapped to be signed to a record label that was owned and operated by MC Hammer. I know, it's a trip. Um, and so I wound up leaving college after a semester and heading to the Bay Area in order to launch this music career, which, um, you know, it was a failure to launch. Um, <laughs> we did put out a record. Uh, it didn't do well. We were basically like, you know, the many thousands of major label artists who become the reason why the one who get, who becomes a hit that year, the one to six, uh, believes that they can do it. So I went on to become an underground artist for the next couple of years there and really become immersed in the community in Oakland. And Oakland is where I got my anti-capitalist conscience from. It's the reason why I can't wear big logos to this day. Um, and going back there after 20 years was a trip. Neighborhoods where you usually went if you had a death wish now had a Starbucks and an artisanal pickle shop um, <laughs> and other signs of gentrification. But what was most, um, you know, positive about returning to Oakland was getting into contact with my old manager, Glenn, were the fortuitous meetings that we had, like the one with Derek at Fruitvale Station. And also to know that Oakland's spirit, though gentrification is real, Oakland's spirit still shines through. I mean, it was almost like I could hear the music I listened to. And, you know, just the... There's nothing like the town. There's nothing like the Bay. And anyone who's listening who's from there knows what I mean. So you know what? I believe in Oakland. All right. <laughs> well, if you believe in Oakland, I believe in it too. <laughs> I think it's about time for people to hear a little bit from Glenn. Yeah. And a little bit from Derek right after that. 
you're getting the audio, but I want to get video. Too. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, before we, we get to that, then Glenn, you can talk about how you know treasure. Oh my gosh. I always, I always like the story of saying, I met treasure. Does treasure remember? I don't even remember. I met treasure in San Francisco at a music convention. I think it was around 1992 or something. Yeah, it had to be then. And I remember seeing Treasure walk by, and the way she was walking and acting, I said, Something, something's up with her. She's got talent. <laughs> She's oozing Something it. about oozing it. Talent. And I remember walking up to Treasure and talking to her and telling her what I wanted to do. And Treasure looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And I said, Well, you know what? I'll give you my number, and you call me when you have time, and we can talk. And were you managing other artists at that time? No, I, I, I had just, let me get this thing in it. I had just left, um, I had recently just moved from Los Angeles to here. And I came because my fiance at the time had taken a job in San Francisco. And I knew I wanted to start doing it. I just had to uh, find the right person, situation, etc. And so I was there meeting people. I had some friends that were coming. That was a big convention we met at. And then Treasure was walking through there and I saw her and I said, yeah, I want to find out who she is. And I started talking to her and I told her that I was interested. She told me she said she could sing and rap and write and all that. And I just remember her saying, uh, well, okay, but she was real, she was kind of, um, she was edgy. And that's what got me. I said, this, she was edgy, like, I want to talk to you, but I don't want to talk to you. I don't know who you are. Uh, <laughs> why, are you, okay. why are you talking to me? You know? She and wanted so to said, scope you out. Right. And so uh -huh. I said, well, here's my number and everything. And if, uh, I said, just take a moment one day and call me. And then I, and rem after that, we met for lunch at a place that's no longer there called uh, Brothers Cafe, where they did chicken and something else. It was on the corner on Telegraph. We met there, and that's kind of when we started, decided that we were gonna spend some time together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yvette says, she says all the time, she says, Treasure is the most talented person you've ever Aww. dealt with. She wow. <laughs> and then she goes, and the nicest too. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got some talent, not oh, yeah. so nice. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I was always on Yvette's team. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. Glenn is crazy. Doing. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. It's always teeny uh -huh. bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I hear you're a little bit of a rapper in your own right, but before we get to that, get that. who raised you? My mother raised me. Uh, okay, start over. Okay. My mother, Ruby. Ruby raised me. A lady from Arkansas, Texas small, just a petite woman who had fire. My mother was out of control. <laughs> <laughs> My mother was out of control. My mother, I, I, I can say this is how my mother was. She didn't take mess from anybody. She would tell the judge what to do, okay? <laughs> and I, I, I think I was 16 and I had a little job and a guy that I know was older than me. I think if I was 16, he might have been 21. 
I cashed my check and he took my money. He took all of it. And I told my mother, you know what my mother did? My mother grabbed her purse, put her gun in it, and went to find him and found him and said, give my son all his money back and you better make sure you give him every dime. <laughs> <laughs> I know your daddy and I'm gonna tell your daddy what I'm about to do to you. <laughs> he gave me all my money back and never said anything to me again. My mother was no joke. My mother, and she's what? My mother's 89 years old right now. My mother is unbelievable. Wow. So that's who raised me. She was tough too. That's wonderful. Yeah, my mother's no joke. <laughs> so how did your mom influence your uh, stepping into the music or, or rap world? My mother always loved music. So I grew up listening to all kind of music. I mean, from R&B to country music. My mother listened to a lot of different music. Even uh, I tease people and tell them about the time my mother went and bought a record called uh, Sink the Bismarck. Now, how many how many black parents would buy a song called Sink the Bismarck? Mm. And I still to this day remember, <laughs> remember that song, Sink the Bismarck. Um, and so, I don't know, just because of the music thing, uh, um, she kind of, you know, just being around her enough, um, that that to me was the influence because I knew she loved music and mm -hmm. she would listen to music almost every weekend and she'd have friends over and they would all be listening to music. And so some kind of way it just kind of rubbed off on me like that. Without my mother, I wouldn't have known, um, you know, Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin and different gospel groups and different R&B acts mm -hmm. because, uh, yeah, she was into that. So when we first got together, you were talking a little bit about the people you are raising. Um, is there anything that you're trying to teach them or that you keep in mind in all that raising? I, I tell them, no matter what they do, there's no limit. They're smart kids. Um, Gavin, Nevin, and Priya, they're, they're, good, they're good, smart young people. And um, I just always mention the fact of never letting anyone tell them that they are less or can achieve. That's what I tell them. Mm -hmm. And they have great parents. They have really great parents and they have great family, cousins and nephews and nieces and all of that. Um, a great grandmother, Yvette is a great grandmother to them. Um, I just think they, 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 to be honest with you, I just, think that you know they'll end up being uh, very smart intelligent people um, doctors or lawyers or whoever they want to be I just think and they're smart too they're smart mm -hmm. right now they're really technical uh, smart kids mm -hmm. yeah. so something that we've been discussing is how much Oakland has changed and is changing who would you say is raising Oakland who's raising Oakland Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think Oakland, when it's ta when you're talking about who's raising Oakland, I think it's uh, politics as well is raising Oakland. Right now, the mayor is trying to do what I can see. She's trying to do her best with Oakland. But I think also what really happens in Oakland is the fact that there's a lot of people that are looking at Oakland and wanting more out of Oakland than just Oakland being in the paper for crime, um, on the news for crime and, 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 and things like that. So 
you got a lot of people who are organizing and pushing to make things happen that normally probably would not happen or be overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, without a doubt, you see in Oakland now, you see cranes everywhere. Everybody's building something. I don't care what part of town you're in, everybody's building something newer, trying to do something better. Um, construction has never been an abundance that it is in Oakland, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the money's flowing in Oakland better than it's ever uh, uh, gotten around in, in Oakland before, I think. Um, the one thing that to me is probably a problem, and I hear that they're trying to figure out how they're gonna work that, is the homeless. The homeless issue in Oakland is ridiculous. Um, you see under every freeway, basically, you see trash in areas of Oakland that you would not think that you would see it in. People uh, dump because they know they can't afford or don't want to go to the dump. They just dump it. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're trying to figure out a way to to deal with that. But San Francisco's doing it too. I think I'm pretty sure where you are, they're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how come there's so many homeless people. They talk about um, the amount of rent, what it costs to pay rent. That's a part of it. Um, I don't know that part of it because I don't live that part of it, mm -hmm. but I see it enough to whereas I feel sorry for a lot of the people around here that can't or seem like they can't do better. Um, and then there's people that are here that don't want to do better. You know what I mean? They're, they're comfortable with where they are. Um, okay. So it's, 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 it's crazy. Mm. Now, Treasurer may or may not have more questions for you, but I have one last one, which is, what do you think makes a good manager? Because you've managed talent, you're managing property, mm -hmm. you manage to be a somewhat compassionate person from the examples you've given earlier. What, what do you think it takes? I think in order to manage really well, especially now, I think you have to, you have to listen. You have to listen to the person that you're dealing with and kind of find out what they want and see if you guys can work that out together because you have to be a team and you have to be a trusting team. You have to be loyal. You have to be really loyal uh, because once things start to go, you're going to have a lot of people that wouldn't have come to you before start to come to you. And, mm -hmm. and, and when Treasure and I were working, I remember that was happening. It was kind of funny because uh, people didn't realize the, the 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 loyalty that we had for each other and it was just crazy but yeah you have to be you have to be honest you have to be upfront you can't be afraid because you're gonna start dealing with people because money's gonna pop up or something's gonna pop up where you know people are trying to get in and and take something or pull something from you mm -hmm. and so um, there's a lot of you have to have a, a good team at some point working with you um, it's uh, it, it can be it can be unbelievable. But yeah, that's I guess the the first thing I I think in my head is okay. yeah yeah you can't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're stopping someone in traffic. Just, someone just swung across the yeah. street in front yeah. of us. You yeah. know. Then yeah. she said, "I'm sorry." Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do it. I'm telling you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. <laughs> so honesty and loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. <laughs> yeah. and you have to really, really be able to focus on what you're doing. Um, yeah. 
Is that it for us, Treasure? I think so. I think so. It's been a pleasure to reconnect with Glenn and talk about who raised him and eat some delicious seafood from Kincaid's mm -hmm. on Jack London Square. Now you guys can go <laughs> and take a nap, right? right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and get ready. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Thank you so much, Glenn. Oh, it's all good. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. you? A fabulous woman named Pearly Jean who's no longer with us. Mm. Was raised in Detroit, came here in high school, and I've been here 31, 32 years. I got two beautiful daughters. A single father twice over. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. Teenagers. Okay. Don't have them no more. <laughs> so you answered two okay. questions, not no, just who right. raised you, but who you are raising. Right. No, you're right. Because you know, I always think of parenting doesn't really go by how your parents raise you. It's shown in how you raise your kids, what kind mm. of parent you were raised by. Mm, you yeah. know, it's a unique perspective, but I think a lot of people have it, but they don't necessarily know how to put it in the word. Yes. Now, because, so, something okay. we were just talking about is about how difficult this world is sometimes to raise children. Is there, do you have any thoughts on that? Like how you are raising your kids? Um, well, I think there's, uh, we have a tendency as people to be lazy thinking. And that, oh, it's like Obama said about how, oh, we're going to wait for someone else to be, well, we are those people that we talk about, the mm. people who change. And mm. so from him speaking, it, it's almost brought it all into fruition because everyone's waiting on someone else and why not be that person? So we are you know, the ones not, we, we are have the been one. waiting Yeah, for. we are the. And June so for Jordan. me, I <laughs> am 49, so imagine all the, before, you know, you guys were even born. I mean, you know, being raised in Detroit, no one, you know, nothing against that. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, how do we have a voice? And only people who really somehow, you know, we have to understand people who are oppressed. And if we are that oppressed, but then how do we go about changing the system? And, you know, like Martin Luther King said, we have to be somewhat in the system or part of the system in order to change it. Mm -hmm. So with Kaepernick, just one like you guys, uh, mm -hmm. the contemporaries. Yeah. The beautiful guy. I even yeah. saw and and Quan Bolden on TV yesterday. Face the Nation. I mm -hmm. think he was on. He was on um, something with Solana Bryant. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful, beautiful. I mean, just hearing how people kind of uh, are being able to raise their voice. And here in California, because unfortunately, other parts of the country they don't really have people of color. Mm -hmm. Many nationalities or even people of many different backgrounds don't have the voice that we have here in California. And unfortunately, True. it's very unfortunate because we know that there are other people being oppressed and they want to speak out and they need to speak out. But then, of course, here in California, we actually have more of a of an understanding how people are, because now we're really talking about economic here is really you could make seventy thousand dollars and be a single person mm -hmm. and really it's it's and very it's hard it's very, oh it's very hard it's not so much you don't necessarily know how to spend your money but you don't have it's a hard time saving money because between the uh, transportation costs the living we're talking about living wage no such thing it's all it really kind of going to fund a war that 
who believes in that war? Mm-hmm. Not the people who are paying for it. I mean, if someone is not never going to fight or hold up a gun, and they're passing these laws and making it seem as if like someone else is in the wrong, when we as Americans have really have never had a foreign policy, never. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely horrendous the foreign policy and the way we treat people from other nations, and. Why do they have to always have to be able to help us? Why can't we just kind of look at it as them being people? Mm-hmm. So if they're not see it the way we are or the way we want it done, as we kind of screw it, or I should say slant it as being democracy, mm-hmm. we think it's somehow we need to come in there and help them change. We're, we've gone through the same thing. We're continuing going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was an ethnic studies major in college, but you know, it's really, really hard because once you kind of decide that you want to make a change, you know, it takes a, it takes a lot of effort. Not, not uh, an overly, but it does take some effort and you have to stay conscious about the people you are and the people you're around because mm-hmm. somehow, you know, the materialism has kind of really overtaken, a, I would say part of the next generation, but you know, we used to live, and I know growing up, we would have an understanding we wanted to leave this a better country when we pass on. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, and here in California, it seems it's run by a lot of young people who don't really have that understanding of how hard it was for our previous, you know, to kind of make sure that it was affordable, dependable, and somehow it was structured to kind of be a balance for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it seems like when we have leadership now, really sad because they've kind of gotten their money and they want the people who just look like them and the people who only them and I'm not saying I want to paint that as a broad stroke but I'm sure the people within the system within those political circles mm-hmm. that that feel for those people who are not mm-hmm. because if I tell you if I make 80 to 90 thousand dollars and I can tell you it's still kind of one of those things between gas taxes and even uh, tuition for my daughters or even kind mm-hmm. of one of those things you know we talk about just living a, 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 a measure of comfort, mm-hmm. it's very hard. It's very hard to maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make fifty to $60,000 and just as, you know, maybe own a home and you can still have a hard time trying to maintain here. Mm-hmm. Um, California has really had some extreme cases where we got extreme wealth and we got extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. Looking at San Jose, you know, you have extreme wealth and mm-hmm. extreme poverty and then it come, becomes like, well, are you a citizen? Well, no way, hold on, we shouldn't be, well, we should be right by you because you are a human. And, 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 and so we're those citizens things of the up. world. Yeah, right, right exactly. <laughs> and so we all what, live together, we mm-hmm. have to row the same boat, row the boat together, or we end up kind of perishing because yeah, we don't really have together. that. But True. it's good to see that you guys are just like awesome. I mean, really, truly. I mean, you know, you think like, is there anyone else with a conscience? And of course we know that there are, but oh, yeah. linking up with those people. Oh, yeah. and, and they're you know, here, Oakland yeah. is famous for. Oh, I well, mean, you know, you know it's the being, home of the yeah. Panthers. It's- being, being, being a product of the 60s, you know, because of course, you know, we're talking about infant and then kind of growing up in the 70s when the big metropolis, seeing some of the things that went on in Detroit is not so much that, because I still think I have a heart, and that's what my heart will always be. We're talking about, people who could grow and people can kind of live together. And now to see some of the uh, underlying, some of the undercurrents where they allow some of the drugs and some of the other things to take over a lot of communities. And then they paint it with a, such a broad stroke and say, everyone's kind of a criminal that isn't kind of 
educated in their circles or it really isn't kind of thinking like that. We'll let you go. Thank you okay. so much. Thank oh, yeah, thank you. you. Did you say your name was Derek? Yeah, I want a picture with you guys. Did yes, we're going to get a picture with you. We have a tradition. In St. Louis, people say that we're only a few degrees removed from each other. We're always running to each other, especially if you have something in common. And I think the encounter that we had uh, with Derek at Fruitvale Station mm -hmm. also showed that we're brought together by our values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was so, it was, <laughs> I mean, you know, they say nothing happens by accident, but it was definitely a huge coincidence to meet someone who'd been taught by my father in the 70s when my father was a young visiting poet. Uh, at a university and in that space in the resonant space of Fruitvale Station um, you know rest in power Oscar Grant which was you know um, you know the staging for another instance of state violence uh, state murder of a young man that we now actually have on tape murdered by a policeman um, that was incredible. And, you know, the Bay Area is good for incredible. Um, so, yeah. Definitely it, a bittersweet meet, meeting. It was. Yeah, because it was. of the importance of the space. And at the same time, it's always nice to run into someone that you're connected to in some way. Mm, true. So we're hopeful that with this podcast, we do the same thing, that we're able to connect people even in bittersweet spaces, um, mm -hmm. and, and make the world a little bit um, more intimate, uh, especially according to our values. Mm. Uh, so I love meeting Glenn. He yes. was so warm, and <laughs> it was really fun to see a little bit of your past, mm -hmm. and he was so hospitable. Mm -hmm. He um, was. He treated us to a wonderful seafood meal right there on the, you know, the waterfront there in Oakland. Um and, you know, Glenn represents a point in my life when I was um, a young, hungry, underground artist, uh, and he mentored and facilitated some incredible experiences for me. It was through Glenn that I got a development deal with Def Jam, which was my dream label, which was where every MC that was on my totem uh, had recorded, um, you know, LL Cool J, uh, the list goes on. And, you know, it also represents a bittersweet moment in my life because it was a dream that was deferred. Um, I produced great music and had some incredible collaborations, but the level of notoriety and success in that arena of my artistic life did not happen. So it was interesting and it was good to reconcile those things. He was in ways like a father. Yep. So uh, speaking of fathers, you met my dad. <laughs> yes, we saw I did. baby pictures while sipping pearl milk tea <laughs> and eating Taiwanese pastries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that was a trip. <laughs> yes, yes. Your dad is adorable. <laughs> And I know that, you know, it's, it's it's always the same. Other people think that your problems are adorable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Problem to say the least. Um, yeah, there was a lot of my upbringing that was a bit painful um, because of my father. And yet, I think the question of who raised you is not complete unless you really go there. Mm. Um, and I think 
when we thought about that question for this podcast as a central question, we were always thinking of it as a very broad question, not Mm -hmm. just wanting to locate it in our family or even our friends, but looking broadly at our country and our media, everything that raises us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think what I've really learned in these conversations is what happens when you are brave enough to go there to look at uh, what brought you to where you are, why you think the way you do, what mm-hmm. you're reacting against mm. in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I haven't figured it out. As uh, you heard in episode zero, our very first episode, um, something that Treasure said was, you know, I think we're haunted. And, um, yeah. and you also mentioned that in some ways it sounds like I still feel like I'm coming out from my mother's questions about mm. me. And um, mm-hmm. later when we release audio of our live show, you'll hear a conversation between me and my mom. And every time I have a public conversation about my with my parents, because we're not public people, we're mm. not public figures, mm-hmm. it's always really weird because there's all those layers of like immigrant and who I was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot where, you know, my dad would call me, like, you know, nicknames. And mm-hmm. I think I'll always be, like, a little girl to him. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women have that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, in St. Louis, I've grown up in a lot of ways, um, mm-hmm. politically, socially, in terms of, like, feminism, in terms of learning from womanist folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not that same person that was growing up. Um, yeah, and yeah. and I think that you know it's it's a lifelong thing, kind of grappling with the tensions of our upbringing and who raised us. Um, we can't deny that our parenting influences that we think of—mothers, fathers, aunties—that they loved us. But you know, oftentimes we have to accept that they were doing the best they could with the information they had. Yeah, And then we have to accept that sometimes they were not doing the best they could with the information they had. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, who raised you is such a loaded question. It's deep and it's wide. Yeah. And I mean, to my dad's credit, there is a lot that um, I respect about him in terms of how he engaged with politics when mm. I was growing up. He was mm-hmm. always part of a Taiwanese association. There are a lot of people who will go back to Taiwan to vote, for example, in major elections. And that's a part of bring, like bringing forth Taiwan's democracy. Mm. Um, and so it's not until now that I see how significant that is. And mm. it's not until uh, I had that conversation between him and you present mm. that we're able to delve into what he sees about history, right? Mm-hmm. Because growing up, it's always like, do you have a jacket on? And you know, right. like, well, are you going to work for Facebook now? Um, and, and all of these things and also like tensions in home life and stuff like that. So I think this is a good time for us to invite our listeners to talk with us. Let us know how you've reconciled the tensions in answering who raised you. You can email us at whoraisedyoupodcast at gmail.com or send us a recording of your story. We might even feature it in a future episode. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. When I was young in Taiwan. So I could walk to the high school right there. So I just 
go in that neighborhood and then that's the end of the street is the high school one so time, he'll show you right one now time the front she of actually climbed the uh, the fence and I did. caught by the uh, guard <laughs> oh no so, police no a pol the what? principal the principal so i so what happened what was, are you doing see you know, you know the the street i was showing you that you can get into the school right so there's one like that um yeah, yeah, side on door. our side on our side on our street like a flat, except, six, six houses yeah except it's it was locked that day but i was trying to like uh, trim like I was late to school. Oh, so I was like, you know, either I'm gonna go around the proper Can we get way. Into here? No, right? Yeah. See that? No, 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 uh, no. See that? Yeah. Um, exit only. So I could go the proper way, or I could jump the fence, and this I decided another, to jump the fence. Another. And then what I did was actually I had oatmeal with me for breakfast, and then I slid it under it, and I started. I just casually ate my oatmeal walking in, and then my principal was like. I saw that. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> and, then yeah, said, such a hurry? Oh. and then he said, also, how did you get your oatmeal over the fence? <laughs> and I was like, I slid it under. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Who Raised You podcast, a storytelling project brought to you by the Who Raised You Listening Collective, featuring media by artists of color in the St. Louis region. To support us, rate and review Who Raised You podcast on every platform. Visit whoraisedyoupodcast.com to book us for speaking and consulting on arts and storytelling projects. While you're on whoraisedyoupodcast.com, donate to support the Who Raised You Listening Collective. Put groceries on our table. We are the 2018 to 2019 Startup Competition winners brought to you by your friends at the PNC Foundation and Arts and Education Council of St. Louis. They gave us an office for this year. Podcasting from the Centene Center for the Arts. If you'd like to sponsor us and have us share your products and services with our audience, let's talk about it. Email us at whoraisedyoupodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to partner with you and share your story. Connect with us on social media. Like Who Raised You Podcast on Facebook. Tweet us at Who Raised You Pod on Twitter. Slide into our DMs at Who Raised You on the Gram. On the Gram. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Say hi. <laughs>